and welcome to episode 6 of Top Class, the OECD's education podcast. My name is Henry and I work in the OECD Directorate for Education and Skills. On this episode, we're going to be discussing gender equality and gender issues in the fields of science, technology, engineering and mathematics, otherwise known as STEM. And to talk about this, we're first going to be looking at gender imbalances in STEM subjects at school talking about the disparities in attainment, different subject choices, and differences in career expectations. And then we'll be looking at how those imbalances manifest themselves in later life and in the job market, with a particular focus on women's participation in the digital era. So I'm very pleased to be joined by Caitlin Guthrie, who is an advisor in the OECD Directorate for Education and Skills, and Raffaella Centurelli, who is an advisor in the OECD Directorate for Science, Technology, and Innovation. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Over the past century, we've seen significant progress across the OECD countries in narrowing or closing long-standing gender gaps in a lot of areas of education and employment, uh, including educational attainment, pay, and labor market participation. But, uh, Caitlin, what are some of the gender gaps we still see in education right now? Thank you, Henry, and thank you for speaking with us today about this topic. I think it's a great way for the OECD to help celebrate International Women's Day. And as you mentioned, the big picture on gender equity in education really tells a positive story for girls. In OECD countries, young women are more likely than young men to complete secondary school, less likely to repeat grades, and now represent a majority of those enrolled in and go on to complete tertiary education. In 2014, across the OECD, 57% of bachelor's and master's degrees were retained by women. But other gender gaps still exist. For example, young women who do go on to pursue higher education continue to be underrepresented in fields of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, or STEM, as you had mentioned. Women in 2014 accounted for only 37% of new entrants into tertiary-level science programs on average across the OECD, and only about 24% of new entrants into engineering, manufacturing, and construction programs. This underrepresentation is particularly striking when we look into fields like computer science, where women only make up 20% of new entrants across the OECD. Differences in academic and subsequently career choices between young men and women start early. The report, Drawing the Future, launched by education and employers in the UK, revealed that gender stereotyping in professions can start as early as age seven, when boys and girls start associating men and women with different occupations, such as a woman as a teacher or a man as a firefighter. And data from PISA tells us a similar story. Nearly the same amount of boys and girls, 24% of girls and 25% of boys, report that they expect to work in science-related careers. But... When you look a little bit closer at that, you get an idea that their ideas of what these types of science careers look like are really quite different. Girls are three times more likely to see themselves in the field of health in a variety of different roles. And while boys also find the role of a medical doctor to be an appealing choice for a future profession, they're more than twice as likely than girls to expect to work as engineers, scientists, or architects. When it comes to a career in ICT, for example, the gap widens to nearly 5% of boys, but less than 0.5% of girls. These findings indicate that career paths of boys and girls are already starting to diverge from a very early age and well before any career choices are actually made. Our PISA data also tells us that these trends are not really due to huge differences in aptitude. In fact, when boys and girls performed similarly across PISA science tests in 2015, boys were still more likely to envision themselves in careers in science and engineering in their future at age 30. 
This trend was also seen in countries like Finland, Greece, Latvia, Lithuania, and Slovenia, where girls perform better than boys do in science, but don't show any greater interest in wanting to pursue a career as a scientist or engineer later in life. To some extent, these differences reflect the different interests of boys and girls. But even when boys and girls are equally interested in science, career expectations still differ. This suggests that underlying explanations for the preferences of boys and girls lie elsewhere and may be influenced by stereotypes, labor market outcomes, and divisions of labor that are found within society. I just wanted to pick up on what you mentioned about the drawing the future study you were saying that children had no idea. That, was it that they had no idea that they could be, for example, a firefighter or a fighter pilot or something like that? Did they, the female students assume that that was not available to them, possibly because of terms like fireman mm. as opposed to firefighter? I think that's a really good question. And, I mean, I don't know what the students kind of thought or, or didn't think when they were... But I think what the study was trying to capture really is how do young children conceive occupations and are there kind of stereotypes within occupations even at that young age and so a child doesn't grow up you know it's not inherent that a fireman would necessarily be a man but there are a lot of things in our society like language as you mentioned that can influence those types of, of stereotypes and reinforce them and so I think that that is a really good point and there are a lot of countries that are doing work to kind of neutralize language as well too to to kind of downplay the the stereotypes that could be associated with things like profession. So are there countries where the gender gap is is actually more prevalent? You said that there were some that were trying to neutralize kind of gender specific languages uh, with reference to job markets and careers but are there some that the gender gap is is large in a worrying way maybe? Yeah, and I, I think what's important to remember here is that gender gap in education looks different in different countries and different contexts. And so we spent a lot of time today talking about girls' attainment and performance and career expectations. And it's true that on average, boys outperform girls in PISA maths by eight score points, especially in a lot of Latin American countries and in Germany and, and Italy and Ireland. But there are still countries, including top-performing countries, where girls actually are performing better in maths um, on average than boys are. And while there's still more boys than girls among top performers in maths, boys are still more likely to be low achievers than girls in all domains tested in PISA 2015, meaning that they have elementary skills to read and understand simple texts or can only master basic mathematical concepts. And this is worrisome because low performers actually tend to be less motivated in school and have a higher risk of leaving school early. But the good news is that while opportunities and skills development in school can have long-term consequences, the gender gaps can be reduced in the labor market. We see in the 2015 results from the OECD survey of adult skills that no major significant differences exist in literacy proficiency between young men and young women from age 16 to 29, and only small gender differences in the numeracy proficiency among youth when compared to the entire adult population. You mentioned the boys still, was it eight points on average in maths uh, in the PISA program for international student assessment scores? I think there might be a temptation for some people to quite rashly suggest that, oh, perhaps boys are just better at maths than girls. What would your response to that be? I would say that stereotypical norms about girls not being good at math 
in school still persists, according to PISA data. Girls tend to experience more anxiety towards learning mathematics and have left less confidence in their own math skills than boys do, even when they perform around the same level. Um, but as I mentioned, there are examples of countries where girls perform on par with their male classmates and even above boys in other countries around the world. So aptitude really doesn't know gender. It's really about giving opportunities, equal opportunities for both boys and girls to achieve at their highest levels. Um, I think that entrenched gender stereotypes are often passed on to children by their families, teachers, and society, and that plays a big role in perpetuating stereotypes such as the one that you just mentioned. PISA tells us that parents, for example, are more likely to expect their sons to pursue a career in a math-related field more than their daughters. And I think that that really can, can have a strong impact on perpetuating stereotypes like that. Rafaela, we've talked a little bit about the uh, gender gap in STEM subjects at school, but what are the implications for that in, in later life and in the job market? Hi, well, thanks for having me today and thanks for the question. It's um, nice to be here to provide the Science, Technology and Innovation Directorate view about this important topic. So I think that it's not hard to imagine that these early biases in the perception of ability that Caitlin mentioned influence the choices of girls when it comes to what fields of study they want to undertake and then have an impact on the career path of those girls. Um, this then translating what we observe as an underrepresentation of women in jobs that demand high endowment of ICT and STEM quantitative skills. For example, Caitlin mentioned that today women represent only 20% of the tertiary graduates in ICT-related study. Well, this is particularly worrying when we think that ICT studies are very relevant in, in the digital era. And even today, even those girls that do persevere and do study STEM and when they try to have a scientific career, they continue to face major barriers to attain senior decision-making position within scientific occupation. Let me give you an example. In, uh, if you look at the gender composition of corresponding authors, which is a proxy term for leadership in the world of research, okay? So today only 20% of the scientists who are identified as corresponding authors are women. And 80% of uh, peer reviewers and editorial board members of scientific journals are men. And this percentage even goes to 90% when those activities are remunerated. And talking about remuneration, um, last year only 17% of the scientists who earned more than 100,000 US dollars were women. Now, this glass ceiling that still prevents women from being represented in senior uh, decision-making position exists, unfortunately, also beyond scientific occupation and results in the underrepresentation of women in all senior roles in digital companies and ICT fields. To give you two examples, in the mobile communication industry today, worldwide, women are 20% less likely to hold a senior leadership position and only 8% of the investing partners at the top 100 venture capital firms are women. These figures, of course, point to a male-centric um, workplace and link back to the social-cultural perception and stereotypes that Caitlin mentioned. Now, we will have a chance to talk further about the stereotypes and the stumbling blocks women face in uh, science very soon here at the OECD because we're hosting a high-level um, event on the 20th of March. It's an event that we're jointly organizing with the European Space Agency and will give us an opportunity to talk about the stereotypes, the blocks, the, the, the barriers, but also the way to overcome this.
But not everything is negative. There are some encouraging signs of change. For example, it appears from our data that women in the digital era are increasingly claiming credits for their innovation. So if it is true that still today, almost 80% of all the patents that are filed in the key intellectual property offices worldwide still comes from teams of only men, it is also remarkable that over the last two decades, the number of patents featuring at least one woman in the team of inventors has increased more rapidly than the average of all other patents. And that this is particularly true when you select um, only the patents related to ICT. So maybe we can say that women are increasingly contributing to the um, digital transformation, or at least are increasingly claiming credits for their innovation. So despite some of the changes and some of the uh, positive signs, it does still seem like empowering women in the digital era is still something of an uphill battle. Uh, what are the major barriers that are preventing women around the world from fully sharing the benefits of the digital economy? And I guess, do you, do you think these roadblocks are systemic? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I think that today there is little doubt about the great opportunities that the digital transformation offers to our economy and societies, from spurring innovation to enhancing efficiency and productivity growth, and in doing so, boosting more inclusive growth. But as you mentioned, the benefits of the digital um, transformation have not yet been equally enjoyed by everybody. In particular, women face around the world a range of barriers that create what we can call um, a digital gender divide. The first major barrier faced by women is access to technology. Today, there are some 250 million fewer women online than men. And although the, the women are concentrated um, in sub-Saharan Africa and in rural parts of Asia, those that are lacking access, um, there are gaps still in the OECD. There are also 200 million fewer women than men owning a mobile phone. And when even those women that do have a, um, access to a phone, they tend to use it for less complicated tasks um, than men. Now, let me digress for a second here to say that while the gender gap in access and usage of digital technology remains a challenge, digital tools can be part of the solution because they can provide what we call a leapfrog opportunities for empowering women in the digital era. For example, the use of digital platforms is already providing women with greater access to new markets, to knowledge, um, and of course with more flexible working arrangements. This can result in a higher female employment rates on platforms than in uh, traditional industry. For example, in US, the proportion of women, um, of female drivers, is higher for Uber than it is for traditional taxis. And another leapfrogging opportunity offered by digital tools is evident when we talk about mobile money. So what it is, mobile money is a way to make financial transaction from a SIM card to another SIM card using a mobile phone and without requiring subscription to a formal bank account. Well, this uh, is clearly a powerful source of inclusion for all those around the world that do not have fin a financial account. And this is um, more than 2 billion people mainly in developing countries. Now, going back to the barriers, we said access. The second biggest barrier uh, for women is lack of relevant skills. If, of course, um, our analysis shows that all workers will need to be equipped with a broad bundle of skills, with a broad set of skills to thrive in the digital era, women today at work still lack some of those key skills, such as numeracy, ICT, and STEM quantitative skills. This is, of course, partially a reflection of the gaps in, uh, in education attainments that we touched upon earlier, but this is also due to a discouraging evidence that today men receive systematically more hours of training than women performing similar jobs. 
Uh, however, once again, let me highlight a window of opportunity that is emerging. Our analysis is showing that when women do undertake more ICT-intensive tasks in their job, the relative pay increase is higher for them than it is for men in almost all countries. This means maybe that if we seize this opportunity and we equip women with greater ICT skills, we can have a chance to narrow the persistent gender wage gap, at least in the short term, before the labor market will adjust to an increased supply of ICT skills. Now, the third barrier I want to highlight, and then I'll stop, is <coughs> related... You can go, it's okay. It's got a long answer. It's related to um, social cultural perception, which we saw with Caitlin are so important in the early stage. Um, this is true in developing as well as in developed countries. In India, for example, women report, more than 10% of women reported that they do not use the internet, although they have access and the skills to, to use it, because of negative social perception. And looking at a very different environment in developed countries, we can maybe ask ourselves if social cultural perception and stereotypes are playing a role amongst many other factors in determining the gender gap in startup activities and venture capital investment. For example, amongst innovative startups looking for venture capital investment today, 90% have only men in their teams of founders. And even the few women that do own a startup they are significantly less likely to receive funding. And even when they do receive funding, it is 20% less than what men-owned business receive. Furthermore, women owning a startup are also 30% less likely to have a positive exit, that means to be acquired or to issue an, an initial public offering. While this is maybe another reflection of the gender gap in STEM studies, we cannot exclude the stereotypes and even homophily, which is the tendency of individuals to associate and bond with people that are similar to them, may be influencing the equity financing because today investors are disproportionately men. Now here a positive evidence is that increasing the share of women that are partners in the venture capital firms can be a promising way to narrow the gap. Our data show that venture capital firms with at least one female partner are more than twice as likely to invest in a company that has another woman in a management team. And they are three times as likely to invest in a female CEO. You had mentioned sort of the cultural stereotypes around women not wanting to access the internet or, yeah. or using the internet and kind of their apprehensions about that. But also there's evidence that suggests that Part of that problem, too, is that women don't feel safe using the Internet Absolutely. and that it's sort of an anonymous platform where they're very likely to be subject to uh, different types of aggressions. And so that, that the environment of the Internet and um, the digital era is also kind of a factor, I think, that plays into that as well. I'm struck by that phrase, though, digital gender divide. That was right. Yeah. So it's not a phrase I've heard before, but from what you've said, it's quite a striking imbalance that's causing rifts in the job market. I'm wondering what we can do in terms of concrete steps to, to overcome that divide. Well, yes, it's a, it's a very good question. And there's not one solution. And there is the need for a broad range of policies to be in place to help address the root causes of the digital gender divide. First of all, to address the gap in access, we need to reinforce the basic framework condition to boost the infrastructure development that leads to access um, to digital tools in developing countries. Then we need to provide lifelong learning opportunities to women so that they can deal with the changing skills needs in the digital era. And we might even have to rethink or adjust the social protection system to be sure that they are fit for the digital era and that they are appropriate for women. The good news is that governments around the world are the more and more aware 
of the digital gender divide and that are taking national and international steps to address the problem. For example, there is a number of countries that have measured to engage women and girls in STEM across education systems, and I'm sure Kathleen will uh, um, expand on this. This is true in Australia, US, Germany, Brazil. There is the RICO Challenge program in Japan, the Nina STEM Puedes in Mexico. There are a lot of initiatives improving women digital literacy, uh, such as the Argentina LS Athens and the Russia Love to Code program. And the G20 presidency last year launched the eSkills for Girls initiative, which is also complementing the range of national policies. Closing the digital gender divide, it's not out of reach, but we need to accelerate progress and maybe fill the implementation gap. We're very pleased that, to see that this topic is gaining momentum in international high-level political debates. For example, the G20 digital economy ministers last year, they formally committed to bridge the digital gender divide. And at the OECD, we're very proud to be helping and supporting this international effort and working closely with the G20 towards narrowing the gender gap and building on a broad range of our analysis and instruments, such as the OECD recommendation on gender equality. And Caitlin, what about for schools? How do we ensure that girls get an equal shot at becoming high achievers in STEM subjects? I think that there's a lot we can do to kind of improve gender equity across different domains in education. Um, particularly since the OECD Council has adopted the, the gender recommendation, one of our new legal instruments, many countries have taken up new measures or reinforced existing ones to increase participation of underrepresented groups, who include women and girls, in STEM studies and occupations. For example, many have revised textbooks to remove gender stereotypes or bias so that children of both sexes feel free to explore their interests and proceed the labor market as as their own you know interpretation and, and to pursue their own interests and teachers and parents can help us build girls confidence in their abilities in math and science by evaluating their abilities noting the tasks that they can accomplish relatively easily and those that they struggle with and then providing them with feedback on the work that they do well and giving them opportunities to perform in low-stakes situations where they're not afraid to fail for example um, teachers also can be trained to recognize and address any biases that may, they may hold about boys and girls and to help them teach more effectively to both genders so that all students are able to reach their potential. Education systems themselves can help by improving career guidance and orientation advice services to give girls more role models that makes them feel comfortable with making choices that don't fit with the traditional gender stereotypes for different occupations. And they can also work to support girls, but also critically address masculine cultures and norms among boys and in male-dominated STEM education that works to discriminate against women and girls, like Rafaela had talked about. Well, we've just about run out of time, but uh, I want to thank both Caitlin and Rafaela for being here with me to talk about this today. And thanks everyone for listening. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please remember to subscribe and share the podcast. And don't forget to follow the OECD Education Twitter account, which can be found at OECD Edu Skills, as well as our education blog at OECD Thanks again and until next time.